I always remember great Second World War movies, particularly movies about escapes, like The Great Escape, um, The Hill, The Bridge Over the River Kwai, Von Ryan's Express. That's another good one. The Colditz story is one I actually watched this weekend because I was reading a book about Colditz this weekend and wanted to see it. It's actually excellent. The story of Colditz is all about the many stories of attempted escapes from what was supposed to be the Nazis' most escape-proof prison. Here's a quick sample of the trailer from back in the 50s. You will remain until the war is won by Germany. There will be no escape unless you wish to die. Uh, the good old-fashioned music there. The prison, of course, was reserved for Allied officers who tried to escape from other camps. There were more guards than prisoners, and there were also a lot of escape attempts and even some successful ones. A new book now looks into the infamous prison and the many soldiers who wound up there. Uh, but Prisoners of the Castle, an epic story of survival and escape from Kolditz, the Nazi's fortress prison, is about more than just escapes. It's also about being there, about who was there, but how they interacted. It's all set inside the most incredible scene, which is this fortress, which turns out to have been a warren of passages and rooms and it's a fascinating book. And joining me now is Ben McIntyre. He's the writer at large for The Times in the UK. And he's also the author of bestsellers, including A Spy Amongst Us and Operation Mincemeat and the newly released Prisoners of the Castle. Thanks for your time tonight, Ben. It's a pleasure. I mean, you've spent a long, a long time looking into similar stories. And I was curious reading the book uh, because it's clearly such a fascinating tale. And it's been told in the past. But what made you decide to settle on a more detailed look into the many different uh, narratives, if we can call them that, that happened within the walls of Colditz over that uh, seminal several years? Well, Colditz is one of those subjects that, I mean, it's the most famous prisoner of war camp of, of the entire Second World War. And it was set up as a high-security fortress prison in the east of Germany, into which were poured prisoners, British, French, Dutch, Polish, Belgian, prisoners on the Canadian. Allied side. <laughs> Canadian. Canadian, many Canadian. Canadians. In fact, the Canadians were in there long before the British were in there. It's fascinating. Right. Um, and these were prisoners who, on the whole, had distinguished themselves by trying to escape from other prison camps. So they were defined, uh, the German word was Deutschfeindlich, which means literally German unfriendly. And they were put there because it was thought, wrongly, that by putting all the bad boys, as it were, in one, in one place, it would make them easier to control. And, and exactly the reverse was true. It became a kind of escape academy and everybody, you know, it was the main topic of conversation. And there was one escape on average every day for the first two years of Colditz's life. So, so it, it's become a part of kind of, well, certainly in Britain, it is part of the kind of national mythology. Colditz is seen as part of the way that Britain continued to fight the war under very different circumstances. So it, it's, but I've always thought, and I've, I've known about Colditz since I was a little boy, because when I was a child, we used to watch the BBC drop dramatization of it. We played, believe it or not, the Colditz board game, which you could get then. And, and I knew, I just knew that there was a more complicated and more interesting story about Colditz than, I mean, the escape story is, is central to it. I mean, there are these extraordinarily exciting and adventurous escapes. But Colditz is also a story about the way that human beings behave in very, very difficult and stressful circumstances. And it turns out, in a way, to be a book about class and race 
and sexuality and mental illness and all sorts of things that were kind of excluded from the mythology. And so I really wanted to dig into to the full story of Collins and try and tell it perhaps in a way that was that was less less coloured, I think, by the experience of the war. I think that's what happened the first time around. Yeah, one would get the impression that in the in the decades following the war, trying to gloss over some of the more difficult aspects of life inside those walls would have been preferable. To talk about the great escapes, of course, was always more heroic than to talk about the reality of what happened inside those walls. There are things that you write about that I had absolutely no idea. One, of course, was the stratification. I mean, it makes sense, I suppose, but the idea of how these different groups of prisoners uh, were brought together, how they interacted with each other, but that some of the officers had had you know servants essentially, and I had no idea that that still went on within the walls of a prison. You can't imagine. It certainly wasn't that way on Hogan's Heroes, for instance. No, absolutely right. I mean, what happened in Colditz really was that the officers, and they were they were, it was officers' camp. That's important to stress. The officers imported, and this wasn't just true of the British; it was true of all the, the nations imported the world they had known before the war into Colditz and kind of magnified it. And so one of the things that, that was very prevalent in Colditz was this sort of class conflict, really. I mean, there was a huge social division that ran right the way, bang smack through the middle of Colditz. And that was, as you say, that the officers, by law, under the terms of the Geneva Convention, had soldiers to look after them. And those servants were also prisoners they were they were they were from the other ranks as they were called and so they were privates they were on the lowest rung of the military hierarchy and their jobs were to cook and clean and sweep up and generally serve their masters who were the officers now the other critical point about them ben is that they were not allowed to escape they were not considered as it were valuable enough to the war effort to expend all the, the time and, and energy that was required to mount an escape, the officers were considered to be more valuable. And so these orderlies, I mean, there is no example, single example of any orderly, as they were known, the, the, the sort of other ranks, these servants, ever trying to escape because they were really prevented from doing so. And to us today, that seems so iniquitous, the idea that, that one set of people could seek their liberty and the other could not, simply based really on class. And it, and it certainly flies in the face of much of what we would have known about from these war stories, like Band of Brothers, for instance. There's always this idea of fraternity without with, and equality is sort of read into it, depending, I suppose, where you're from. Uh, but that was one of the things that surprised me. So did, I mean, I thought it was lovely that you included in great detail the, the story of uh, Berindrath Mazamandar, or Mazamadar, who I'm going to mispronounce his name, unfortunately. But um, his story is one I don't think we would have heard 30 years ago or, or even no, maybe 20 I mean, years his... ago. That's exactly right. I mean, his story was excluded from the Colditz story because, in truth, he was the wrong race. Birendranath Mazumdar was an Indian doctor from the north of India, highly cultured, very well educated, who'd been captured at Dunkirk and shipped off to Colditz as an officer. He was the only Indian officer in the British Army. And it pains me to say this, but he, there he suffered the most egregious racism. He was, he was really badly treated, but not by the Germans, in spite of their racial ideology, actually by the other prisoners, and not just the British. He was regarded as a kind of second-class citizen on account of being Indian. And he too was told, you may not escape from here, you may not even try, because you're the wrong colour. And, and if you get outside the castle walls, they'll catch you immediately. Astonishingly, Berendranath Mazumdar did manage to escape. I'm not going to give it away for the no, for no. I, please, I read the, the book. please read the book. Please read the book. Yes, <laughs> but it's um, 
It's an amazing story and it's, it's one of real bravery and it's a double bravery in a way because he not only had to kind of withstand the kind of taunting and the unkindness of his fellow prisoners, he had to withstand the Germans trying to recruit him as a propaganda tool and he had to have the bravery to get out of the, get out of the place himself. And so he's, but it's an amazing story and I think it's, a, it's an interesting reflection that it really wasn't told in the aftermath of the war because it didn't fit into the kind of template of the mythology that that had been established. And in his case too, that, that continued even after, and we won't go into the details of his escape, but even after he escaped, he continued to face that. Absolutely, I mean, once he had got to safety, to neutral Switzerland, he was actually arrested by the British who believed that he was a spy. I mean, they, they were convinced that he was working for the other side. I mean, it's a it's a terrible story, but but in a way it's, it's rather moving that, that one's been able to get hold of it because Berendranath Mazumdar recorded what had happened to him. He, he made a sort of taped memoir, really, which um, his widow, still alive, aged 97, in, in living in rural Britain, allowed me to, to listen to his tapes. And they're the most moving, poignant account of one man's intense struggle. Ben, just as a, as a journalist, that must have been a remarkable thing to find, because this was really untold, an untold story of, of a story off told. Funnily enough, when researching wartime stories, it happens more frequently than one would expect. I mean, this was a treasure trove, the, these particular tapes, but I'm struck by just how kind of literate that war was, how much everybody wrote everything down, even the orderlies, even those who had had little formal education. I'm, I'm really struck by how often I will go to the families of these people and say, you know, do you have any evidence? Do you have any documentary material? And quite frequently people will say, ah, oh, yes, I think there's a box in the attic and it's got some postcards and letters in it. And that to me, as a sort of investigative historian, that is absolute catnip. I mean, that's when you know you've hit the you've hit the jackpot is when they say, oh yes, here are, here are grandpa's old postcards. My guest this half hour is Ben McIntyre. He is an author uh, of the newly released Prisoners of the Castle, an epic story of survival and escape from Kolditz, the Nazis' fortress prison in East Germany, in what is now, of course, Germany, but was uh, for a long time in East Germany. Um, Ben, the building itself, which features very prominently within your book, and it's sort of the the unifying character is, in fact, the, the structure itself. I had no idea that it was so full of nooks and crannies. I mean, it, it, I always thought of it as being a fortress, but but in many ways, it was a very porous fortress. That's exactly right, Ben. I mean, it was a, I mean, Kolditz is an 11th century German schloss on a cliffside overlooking a tiny village in East Germany. And it's in a remarkable place. Believe it or not, I, I stayed in it last year. Part of it is now a youth hostel. So everyone's got to spend their summer holiday somewhere. And I spent mine inside this extraordinary prison. And as you're right, it is full of ghosts as well as holes. I mean, because it was built in the 10th, 11th century and because it was built onto so many times over the years, it, it, it has something like five different sewerage systems. It had, there are hidden staircases. There were hidden passageways. All the locks, for example, when the soldiers first arrived um, were medieval locks and they could be you and I could pick them with a screwdriver I mean, they were very easy to get to so the extraordinary thing was when the British first arrived there they were visited that night by four Canadian pilots who had simply worked out already how to break how to get out of these these doors so although it looked terrifying 
Colditz. It was really a terrible place to put a prison because it presented so many opportunities for tunneling, for scaling down the walls. And it really was, for the first few years, it was a game of cat and mouse between the prisoners and their guards. Every time the prisoners tried to escape, the guards and the security officers would, would sort of plug the hole and then they'd find some other place to get out. So it was a sort of evolving, strange sort of tussle between them. It is a remarkable um chronicle of the war too because the relationship between prisoners and guards between those at cold it's changes as the, as the war evolves as the nazis begin to lose of course that is absolutely right i mean initially because it was an officer's prison relationships between the prisoners and their guards were codified really were regulated by the geneva convention and there were certain rules and comparatively speaking the prisoners were quite well treated this was not a concentration camp this was not run by the sas this was run by the german army by the wehrmacht and although they were stern and disciplined and and they would did would do anything to try and stop the prisoners getting out they were not root, routinely brutalized as they would have been in other camps and so you have this kind of first few years when there is quite a respectful relationship between the two sides there's high tension but but there is some respect as the war continues and it gets bloodier and more brutal the stakes get higher and it becomes not it's no longer a game once these prisoners are outside the castle walls if they manage to get that far they, they no longer i mean beforehand they would have been just returned to the castle and, and put in solitary confinement by about 1943 they're much more likely to be murdered in cold blood and buried in, in an unmarked grave so you see this evolving story inside the castle where it becomes increasingly sinister as the story progresses and and by the time we get to the final days of cold it's when when you know that the, the the american army is approaching from one direction that the the soviets are approaching from the other escaping becomes terrifyingly dangerous and and there's a terrible story of again a canadian soldier who who was one of the last escapees from colditz who who clung on to the bottom of a lorry um going out of the front gates it was just a sort of impromptu escape and he got outside his name was bill miller and he was never heard of again and it's it seems the likeliest explanation is that he was captured and either he was lynched by 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 local germans or he was taken to mauthausen concentration camp and murdered and and that you know it was an incredibly brave thing to do to escape at that point when we look at at the overall i mean part of it of course we, i couldn't separate reading this from and this is not to be compared but the, the time that a lot of us spent in isolation during COVID, um this idea of ingenuity within in isolation of resilience to use a word that we use too often these days but when you look at at the story of cold it's in a modern context what do you think the modern reader would take away from it other than just the great stories that you tell well, I think you make a very valid comparison. And of course, one doesn't want to overdo it. You know, we, we, we were not locked up. I mean, sitting on the sofa watching Netflix, um, you know, for, for a year and, you know, having to order in food. That's, you know, it's nothing comparable. But I think we did all taste something of what it felt like to have your freedom seriously curtailed and to be thrown into company with people for a long, long time. The tensions that that brought to, to many people and just the complexity of trying to work out how to how to live in a very restricted space over a long period. And I guess I what I mean, I mean, it turned out for me writing cold it's during lockdown turned out to be rather an appropriate and apt subject. I mean, I practically grew a moustache and tunneled out of my my London <laughs> flat myself. I was getting going so stir crazy. But I suppose it does ask a question, this book, which is it, when you look at all the broad different ways that human beings behave under stress. And some people in Colditz as prisoners were incredibly courageous and resilient and brave, and some were not. 
There were traitors there. There were people who collapsed under the strain. And we're not all made of this kind of straight grain timber that we would like to think that we are. And I guess it poses the question, what would you do? How would you as an individual, which of these many prisoners in this castle, which one would you have been? Ben McIntyre, I suggest my listeners read the book and figure that out for themselves, because I, I'm struggling to think of who I would be right now. Hopefully one of the more brave souls, but, uh, but maybe not. Ben McIntyre, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.